If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome back to B2B Growth. I'm Logan Lyles with Sweetfish Media. I'm joined today by Armand Farouk. He's the Director of Sales at Carta. Armand, welcome to the show. How's it going today, man? I am stoked to be here, man. Big fan of your show. Absolutely. Hey, I appreciate that. We're going to be breaking down the three different sections of a common discovery call. You've got some hot takes, maybe some controversial uh, points of view on parts of discovery from setting an agenda, building rapport, things like that. Before we get into it, though, tell us a little bit about why you're so passionate about why salespeople are getting discovery wrong. And then we're going to get into some actionable tips for man. Yeah, it honestly stems from my extreme frustration with sales management. You hear all of these best practices around discovery that are not best practices. They're just theories. And so a lot of you guys have probably seen on LinkedIn, I post a ton of stuff about prospecting and it's always actionable. When people tell you in discovery, don't get stuck into a feature battle or sell the vision, none of that stuff is actually actually actionable. There's no way that I can act on sell the dream. Because the bottom line is half of the time you're a 24-year-old fresh out of college, you don't know how to hold sales conversation with a CFO or a VP of sales. But all of the money is made in the discovery. You need to do two things. You need to be able to source deals, which is prospecting, and you need to be able to discover pain with those deals. If you don't do discovery right, if you don't understand the problems in discovery right, if you can't get a prospect to open up to you, negotiation is out the window. Negotiation is the butter on top at the end of a deal, once you've done really good disco. And oftentimes reps are so focused on the demo and the negotiation, where in reality, discovery is the most important part of the call. Man, couldn't agree with you more. With that, let's jump right into it. So we're going to be talking about the agenda, questions that you're asking, and best practices around next steps, or at least uh, common practices, or maybe some common mistakes to to avoid. So let's talk about setting the agenda. Where do a lot of folks go go wrong and shoot themselves in the foot here, Armand? Yeah, there, there are really two extremes here, Logan. So the first extreme is I don't set an agenda. And the reason that that's a huge mistake is you need to give your prospect the ability to disagree with the purpose to a call. If you just start going into it, you might find, I see it all the time, 10, 15 minutes into the call, you're going in a direction and the prospect's like, that's not why I came here. And so that's the first thing is you get a lot of these suave sales guys who just want to get into a call and they just want to have a natural flowy conversation. Got to set an agenda. Got to let them know where it's coming and your prospect needs to be given the right to disagree. The other extreme is they tend to go super, super, super scripted. And I'm a big fan of the Sandler upfront contract, but a lot of people take it way, way too far. And so it might sound something along the lines of, well, well, thanks for coming on the call today, Logan. Do we have 30 minutes? Yes, no. Well, I'd like to set an agenda today. Typically, these calls go one of two ways. The first way is it's not a fit. Are you okay with telling me that? Yes, no, great, I'll do the same. The second way is we are fit and then we can set out five minutes at the end to discuss next steps. And it's way, way, way too rigid. 
And so that's what most people do wrong. And I'm happy to discuss the happy medium that I tend to propose. Yeah, let's talk about that, man. I am known amongst our team of always being the guy who's like, hey, the truth is in the middle. The best way is in the middle somewhere. So I'm with you that there's usually two extremes where, you know, life is a giant balancing act. How do we balance it in setting an agenda on a disco call? Yeah, absolutely. And so oftentimes the the biggest challenges is that what you're trying to solve with a discovery call is you're trying to match your objective with what has happened in the customer journey prior to the moment of them sitting in front of you. And so, for example, a lot of times on a website, it's going to say request a demo and a prospect will get onto a call and they're expecting to see software in the first five minutes. And so the first goal of my agenda needs to be to set the stage that I need to get to know your business. And so it sets the stage for discovery and it tells them upfront that I am going to ask you questions before showing you software. The other thing that I need to get in front of is if there are certain deal killers or things that I know that are going to pop up in my sales cycle that I need to address in this call that they're going to be itching to hear about, such as price. Number two, I've got to address anything that I know they're going to want to hear about so that they don't feel like they need to probe and ask me. And then the last thing is I do need to anchor at the end to deciding on some sort of outcome and making sure that I tell them they don't, they have the right to not ghost me. And so to get those three things into an agenda, it might sound something along the lines of this. Logan, look, I really appreciate you taking the call today, man. I just want to make sure, time check, we're, we're good, full 30 minutes here? Good? Awesome. Logan's giving me the thumbs up. Great. I, honestly, like I don't have a big presentation today. The, the goal of today is for me to get to know you, your business. Naturally, I know you probably requested a demo and you want to see some software. I got to know what to show you. And so do you mind if I bug you with a couple questions along the way? Cool. Great. Logan's nodding his head. Naturally, we'll have some back and forth. Look, the, the last thing is, honestly, as a sales rep, my, my second favorite answer is, is no, right behind yes. And so like, I, I want to make sure that you're totally fine telling me if this isn't a fit and I'll do the same. Are you good to go with that? Awesome. Now, now let's, let's just start off. Can you just tell me why you took the call in the first place? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so instead, it's, it's a little bit more flow. It has a lot of the aspects of an upfront yeah, contract. Same aspects. I mean, there's a lot of the same structure. One, you just approached it with some natural rhythm and, and tone, which I think is just, man, it doesn't take much. But I remember early in my sales career, there was a tipping point for me that was more than just realizing this in the in the first year, but I was ready to be like, nope, this isn't for me. Uh, I hate this. But I realized like, hey, I can bring my own personality. I don't have to like put on this, hey, here's my script. Here's what I say. And I started seeing a lot more success by just interjecting, you know, myself into my sales calls and approaching it more. And it might be tough for a young SDR or a young AE who's just now, you know, uh, I want to say hitting the streets, but you're not, no one's hitting the streets and outside sales these days, but jumping on calls and feeling way out of your depth. What do you have to lose? Anyway, another area I know you're passionate about is rapport building at the beginning of a discovery call. Let's talk about, you know, some extremes, some missteps. What's your take on rapport building? Yeah, so the rapport is the icing on the cake. And I'm not suggesting, disclaimer, I am not suggesting that you go into a call and they try to talk, you know, the talk with you. They try to say, oh, we went to the same school. And then you just like become a wall, right? What I am saying is you need to be able to read the prospect to a certain degree. And oftentimes within one or two questions, you can tell if you ask them, how's your day going? Good, good. Glad to be here. 
you can probably tell that this person is somebody who also lives out of Google Calendar and you need to be respectful of their time. And oftentimes the biggest sigh of relief from a prospect will come when you tell them you can give them five minutes back at the end of the meeting. And so for that reason, the way that I will build rapport with you is not by telling you that you and I went to the same school or that you and I did this or that we have the same name and it just sounds slightly differently. I don't really care. I'm going to start by saying, I respect your time. And I'm going to weave in a couple points of research that shows you that I know a little bit about your business. And that's how I'm going to earn your respect. I'm not going to be BSing, asking you, oh, how are you holding up? You hunkering down there? right? Now you're working from home. How's your working from home situation? You got those picture frames back there? That's not how I'm going to start my call. I'm going to slow it down. I'm going to set an agenda. And I'm going to tell you some things that I know about you in preparation for the call. And I'm going to focus on solving your problems. And that is how I will build rapport with you. Yeah, absolutely, man. I've heard John Barros repeat over and over again, you know, in preparation for this call, I noticed Da, 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 da. Just thinking, when am I saying that? And if I can't start a sentence with that, then I probably haven't done enough prep because I've found people who are ready to be where I didn't do a, a good job of setting the agenda. And I've realized they take a deep breath and they get ready to say, well, let me tell you a little bit about us. And where I've realized is, hold on a sec, here's what I know. Da, 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 da. Based on this, I have this question. And then it changed, right? They're like, yeah. oh, okay. Right. And, and that builds rapport better than just kind of the common, hey, I see you're a Broncos fan or man, the Patriots suck or whatever. Uh, as much as I'll love getting talk, talking football with anybody who will have me. Now, what you said too, I think it is important. You've got to, as I have been telling my kids and my wife has as well, you've got to learn to read the room. Now, in let's just take the States and this is you know, only just one microcosm of all sorts of different cultural norms across the globe, you know, someone in New York versus someone in Texas, just kind of in general, right? There are even exceptions to this. Different parts of the country, different people are, they expect to just get to business. And if they have time for a little bit of chit chat, you have some commonality that they want to talk about. They'll do that at the end. Other people, you will almost offend by just jumping straight to business and not even asking any sort of question. So seeing how they respond to the, hey, how's it going? Da, 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 that like if they have an inclination to, hey, it looks like this person is open to kind of some personal chat for one or two minutes real quick, then lean into that a little bit. But you've got to start with reading the room, like you said. Exactly. And you can read it with some opening questions. It's not like you get on the call and it's like, hold on, don't say anything. Agenda time. That would right. be really <laughs> awkward. That is not what I'm suggesting. But I'm saying don't try to pry in with 10 minutes about talking about your favorite type of mustard if it's not there. And even if it is there, you probably shouldn't spend 10 minutes talking about it. The other thing that we need to talk about is as we get deeper into the discovery call, the building rapport process is pulled throughout the entire discovery call. And so after I've set my agenda, the next thing we were going to talk about is that first question. And so by understanding your business, Logan, I can start to ask probing questions throughout the disco. And so, for example, if I know you requested a demo and I've done some basic research about your company, I can say, hey, I noticed you just raised this funding round. Congrats on that. Typically, when I'm talking to people, X and Y come to mind. Could you just give me a sense of like what brought you to take the call? And I can start to weave in pieces of research that I've done on you that gets you to sit up a little bit. 
that make you think, oh, shoot, like this guy did his research and he's just subtly putting it on the table. So as as we get beyond the agenda, obviously a big part of discovery is asking questions. It's it's fairly obvious. As Chris Voss says, uh, negotiating is just a, a mission on fact-finding. And really, as you put it earlier, you don't get to negotiate if you don't discover. And so it's really, you're starting negotiation right now. Right. And and it's based on the questions that you ask. And there's a big, there's a big misstep that you see a lot of salespeople making where they're not going to the next level with their line of questioning. Can you talk about kind of the two levels of questioning where you see a lot of people stopping short, Armand? Yeah. And there, there there's so many different names for this, but on the highest level, oftentimes the first set of questioning is called situational questions. And they tend to be revolving around some sort of process. How are you guys doing this today? How many employees do you have? What system are you on today? None of those questions indicate a problem to me. They indicate a potential situation that could cause a problem that the customer may or may not be aware of. And so the next line of questioning that I really push reps to go into is that they'll get all excited because they're like, for example, we sell a solution that helps companies manage their option plans. So they issue stock to uh, employees. They need to track all of that stuff. Oftentimes it's done on a spreadsheet or with attorneys. They'll ask, how are you guys managing your cap table right now? The, attorney, the, the person on the other line will say, well, we do it in spreadsheets and our attorney helps us out. And they'll be like, boom, we got them. That doesn't tell me anything. Now, the next line of questioning starts to be pain questions. Well, how are you managing that spreadsheet so that you don't have to spend X hundred dollars a month on billable hours truing up the cap table? Tell me a little bit more. Now I'm getting into pain questions. And so... What I suggest everyone to do is if you've read the book Gap Selling, it has something similar called a problem identification chart, is map out all of the potential situations for the three or four core buckets that you have. So it might be, how are you issuing equity for us? How are you managing your cap table for us? Those are the situations. That's column one. Column two, what are the pain points associated with those situations? And then you start to pull people across column to column. And then you can get into the impacts of paying billable hours. So you can't make your budgets. Your CFO's hair is on fire. You look like an idiot in front of your board because your cap table's wrong. And then you can start to pull piece them all together in a discovery call. And you have a natural progression of situation to pain questions to impact questions. But until you have that mapped out, a lot of people just wander in discovery with 700 situational questions and it never goes anywhere. Yeah. What are some of your thoughts, Armand, on... Because to me, I've always struggled a bit with... I feel like I'm, I'm best with... Now, I'm not selling software. I'm selling our podcasting service. So I'm, we're a service-based business. So it's a little bit different. I don't have that to show. But I also do have examples of our work to show uh, different things that I can, I can, I can show. Uh, similar to a software demo, I think the most effective reps really kind of weave in the conversation and the demo as opposed to like, okay, it's question time. All right, it's demo time. All right, it's slide deck time. Because the moment that you kind of flip that switch to the different modes, you're telling your prospect, all right, it's time for me to shut up and listen. You know, just like if you were presenting in person, if you dim the lights and turn on the PowerPoint, all right, I'm not supposed to ask questions now. I'm supposed to sit back, fold my hands, and you're cueing them for that behavior that you probably don't want. Because we know that the more talk time you get from your prospect, the more effective your discovery call is going to be. So 
talk to us a little bit about your your process. And this, again, look different depending on the software that you sell or whatever, but demo, visuals, conversation. What do you see as effective to keep it natural, but also keep it structured? Again, the truth, the best way is usually in the middle ground. There's some something we've got to balance. And those are the two that I see you've got to, you've got to balance uh, throughout the discovery call, right? Yeah, it's, it's tricky. So again, to, to the point earlier, the extremes are always wrong. And so oftentimes when reps start off discovery, the first thing that goes wrong is they end up talking the entire time. And then the second thing that goes wrong is they reverse in the other way and they turn it into an interrogation. And it's not supposed to be either. The best discovery calls feel like conversations. And so the, the rule of thumb throughout discovery that I like to tell people is ask a couple questions, dig into one thread associated with your solution, one bucket, get into your situational pain, impact questions, et cetera, and then do some storytelling and explain how you might be able to solve a problem then transition to the next piece and do that in a moderately smooth way. Once you get to the demo, it's not the big hurrah. It is not like the great reveal of here are all the problems because I've been storytelling along the way. And so before I show you software, you should already have as a prospect three, three stories in mind of ways that I might be able to help you. And then during the demo, now I've decided to show you that those stories aren't ridiculous. And so a lot of people will show one module of the software and then they'll show another module of the software and then another and another, and it will be a 15 minute monologue or even worse, they'll show one module and they'll be like, any questions? And then they'll show another module and they'll be like, any questions? It's moderately insulting or they'll be like, does that make sense? And so take those two things out of your language. And now that you've done your work in your discovery, the goal of the demo is to understand, do those stories that I told you earlier solve the problems that you told me earlier? And does this seem realistic? And so I might be showing them something. And as I'm voicing it over, I'm not just saying this feature allows you to do this. I'm voicing over and I'm storytelling, hey, you told me you guys were managing this process in X way. This is what it would look like moving forward. Does this feel like something that could be realistic to implement? Does this sound like something that would solve the problem that you told me about X number of hours being spent on this? Does this align with what you told me would be the solution moving forward? And you're validating all of the problems you've found in the discovery. And then you're asking more questions to get more granular, to tailor the demo to the prospect. I want people to notice the language that you used in those questions right there, Armand. Those were emotional questions. Does this feel like, does this seem like, not does this make sense? If you want to know where you're going wrong with, does that make sense? Go check out a previous episode I did with David Premer from, from Cerebral Selling. You may not realize how much damage you're doing with that question uh, that you ask probably five times on every discovery or, or demo call. Armand, I want to leave some time for next steps. Hey, <laughs> next steps. <laughs> you know, how, meta, how meta is that? Let's leave time for next steps. So let's talk about leaving time for next steps and doing it the right way. Yeah, a lot of people take this to the extreme. And I have a horrible confession here. I've never actually done this, but I've seen reps do it and it works phenomenally. Some people will actually set a timer five minutes ahead. And so five minutes before the top of the hour, they will have an alarm go off and it's a little bit jarring. And they agree in their upfront contractor and their agenda saying like, I'm going to set a timer on my phone right now. When that goes off, that's our signal to post off because I, I respect your time. And we're going to talk about the rest of this. Either way, if I set that time, if I set that expectation in the agenda, I may or may not need the timer. But the point is, once you see that clock, you've got to manage that clock. And you need at least 
five minutes. And if you know it's going to be a deep pricing discussion, you probably need at least 10. And so know your sale and five minutes leading up to the end of the call, cut it off. And that's when you say, hey, it sounds like we've got a lot of good stuff going on here. And what I need to do in next steps is number one, always, always, always do a pulse check. And so a lot of reps in their next steps, they'll close the demo and they'll be like, great. Well, here's what I'm going to do. Why don't we set up a next step uh, to go over pricing in our next call? I just showed you a lot there. I just got off a 10-minute demo, a 15-minute demo. Some people do a 30-minute demo. These are long conversations. You've seen all the software. I got to get a yes from you. And so the first thing I'm asking is, look, I showed you a lot there. And you told me X, Y, and Z. Does what I show you warrant having additional conversations moving forward if we were to discuss X, Y, and Z? And I need to get to the yes or the no there. Once I have the affirmative, great. That now informs what my next step is. And so, great. We validated that the software could be a piece of interest for you. Here's how the sale works from here moving on. And I'm not asking them. I'm telling them, here's what happens next. You and I get on into another call. We need to probably pull in three, four other people that, by the way, I've done my research and I know who those four people are and their names. And so I'm going to pull them out here and say, this, this, and this person need to be in the next call. Or you and I, as the next step, need to get on a call and review pricing. Is there anything else in your decision criteria or in your process internally that I should be aware about? And that's how you control the sale. You don't sit there and be like, well, what do we do from here? Like, dude, you're the salesperson. You tell me. Yeah, I, I forget where I heard it recently, but as much as there's a lack of training on on selling, there's even more lack of a training on buying. You know, and, and so to expect your buyer to say, "Hey, this is how we go through the process. This is how we buy this thing," uh, because even though we want to map our sales motion to their buying journey, it doesn't mean that they know where they're going. It doesn't mean they know. You know, and buying a CRM is not equal to buying a new benefits provider, uh, a service with a new benefits provider. Those are different things. They involve different people. They have different timelines, all those sorts of things. So you need to also show that you've been here before. And so what I like to do that makes it more about the customer than it does about your sales process is, you know, I love what you said about calling out the names of the other people. If you, you know, it's so easy to do with LinkedIn Sales Navigator. If you know you're talking to, you know, the marketing manager and you normally need to get the VP of marketing to also sign off as well, look up who the VP of marketing is and say, hey, does it make sense to have Josh on the next call? And it makes it very conversational. It shows that you did your homework. And then the other thing that you can do to kind of show that you've been there before, right, is that most of our customers need to, you know, are asking these questions before they come to the next call, or they're bringing in someone from this department who typically has this question. Have you covered that yet? you know, in your internal conversations, those sorts of things so that you can say, hey, I'm not telling you what I need from you. I'm telling you what other people who've sat in your seat, what they're going through and probably what you should be thinking about as well. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned two really important things there. The first is it shows that you've done your research. A lot of people are like, I don't want to drop that person's boss's name. Well, that's happened to me. And honestly, I was really impressed. And the person positioned it in a way that made it sound like she was looking out for me. It's like, hey, oftentimes I find that this person has some pretty strong opinions about this stuff. Hey, have you had the chance to run it by this person? Versus if you ask them, who else needs to be looped into this decision? It basically sounds like I'm asking, who's your boss? 
right? Yeah. Do you have the authority to sign here is what that sounds like, right? Yeah. And what are you always going to get? Yep, I'm the decision maker. I'm the decision maker. And mm-hmm. then you get to negotiation and it's like, okay, have we covered all this? Yeah, but I got to present it to so-and-so. Wait, 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 hold on. Something yeah. does not compute here. And that's, <laughs> you know, it's human nature, right? We're, we're insulted by that question. And, you know, it's not their fault. You're asking it that way that it's insulting to them. A really good strategy I heard on John Barrow's Make It Happen Mondays podcast, which if you're looking for more sales content and you're not subscribed to that show, check it out right now and, and subscribe. But he was talking with, uh, I forget who it was. I think it was a sales leader over at Drift. And what he said that uh, he has his reps do is you get inbound lead or you book an appointment, whatever the case is, you, you use a script, something like this, which I've actually saved and I use something very similar to this. Hey, you look up their boss who you think is likely the decision maker. So maybe you're at the director level. You need to get to the VP level. That's really where the power lies, typically in your sales process. You send them a LinkedIn connection request or an email, if you can grab that with Lead IQ or whatever. Uh, send them an email saying, hey, looks like your company is showing some interest in what we do. My name's Logan with Sweetfish. Just wanted to introduce myself and let you know I'll be available to you, you know, down the road should you need uh, anything. For now, I've got next steps scheduled with John. We're meeting next Wednesday. That's it. Not a question, but just an introduction. So if at some point you do need to get to a different level, you're not doing an end around. You've already introduced yourself to someone else at a higher level within the organization. What are your thoughts on that, man? Yeah, I think it's so important. And oftentimes people are afraid to break the corporate veil with their first prospects that they interface with. But a lot of times people forget that the person who requested a demo is oftentimes not the decision maker, but he's going to be your future champion. And so what you need to do is you need to get on a first name basis with that person. You need to get on a text basis with that person. You need to make sure that you understand their problems so well, like we talked about in the discovery, and you're able to tell them that you're going to help them solve those problems. And then when you're discussing next steps to your point, Logan, you need to say like, hey, I want to help you win here. I want to help you solve these problems in your org and have you be the champion. I'm going to meet with this guy next. Do you mind if I give you a ring 20 minutes before the meeting and get briefed on it? Can you help me help you a little bit? And I've had the best reps that have managed sales cycles and also people who have tried to sell to me have gotten on a texting basis with me before they meet with our head of sales ops, before they meet with our VP of sales. And I'm telling them all of the inside information they need to know to hit on all the right pain points. Every single enterprise deal cycle or even mid-market deal cycle has that opportunity. If there's more than one stakeholder, you can win somebody and they can be your inside man. I love that you brought up texting, man. James and I did an episode here recently about specific ways to turn prospects into friends. And it, I almost like hesitated to write that headline when we dropped that episode because I'm like, it almost can sound manipulative, but you have to approach it the right way. Are you really trying to help them? And if you are, communicate with them more like you would a friend, getting on a text basis, getting doing those sorts of things. And you would be surprised how few people do it and you will absolutely stand out. And you could do it very easily. Here's, here's kind of a way to do that because it's like, hey, texting is a very intimate medium, right? It's what you do with your wife, your husband, your significant other, your best friends, your mom, your grandma, right? Uh, if your grandma texts, depending on, on your age, my grandma texts, but she can't send photos because she still doesn't have a smartphone. Anyway, I'm getting on a tangent. <laughs> but like, here's a way to do it. Like Armand, you and I get off a call. Well, in the sign up for, like if I'm using Mix Max or Chili Piper or whatever, 
I get your phone number, right? And make that field required and say, hey, in case we can't connect via Zoom or whatever, which is legit, right? We hop off this call. I send you a text. Thank you so much for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to the next steps. But you send that as a text rather than email. They are Mm -hmm. going to respond, one, right? And now you have established a text relationship with, with that person in a very natural way that doesn't come across as creepy where it's like three weeks in, they've ghosted you and you're texting them like, oh, this is going to seem creepy, but I got to do it because I got to get around and they're ghosting my emails. They're not even opening them. I don't know if they're going to spam. I'm going to send them a text like, hey man, I think all my emails are going to spam, which kind of sounds like a line, which you might be using it as a line anyway. So anyway, avoid all that and just take some tactical steps, bake it into your process. I, I love what you're talking about there, man. Armand, if there's one thing you want listeners to take away from this episode, what do you want it to be? There's a lot of nonsense out there. And I think Logan just does such a good job of breaking it into actionable sales tactics. What I would urge every single person to do is whenever you hear a sales tip like sell the dream or this or that or something that's not really actionable, I would really suggest that you figure out what those three or four tips are for you and try to make them very, very real and tangible for your business. And so for example, today, what I've said is you should probably understand the situations, the pains, and then the impacts for your specific product. That is the level one of actionable. You need to go and take that two levels deeper and actually write down what those situations, pains, and impacts are. Because otherwise, you're literally just reading the chapter headers of a book. You're not getting the depth that you need to. We can give you all the tips in the world, but if you don't make it real for your solution and twist it to your world, it's all worthless. So go out there and do it. And then I, I got to plug really quick. We run a podcast ourselves called 30 Minutes to President's Club, and it's all actionable, no-nonsense sales tactics. And so you'll get more of this love on that show. Awesome, man. Armand, other than your podcast, what's the best way for someone to reach out if they've got a specific question on what you shared today, man? Yeah, two ways. Number one is uh, just follow me on LinkedIn. Especially if you comment on one of my posts, I try to get back to almost every comment if there's an explicit question or just send me a note at armand at carda.com. I love it, man. Make it nice and easy. A couple of resources we'll put in the show notes that I think were really in line with what we talked about today. If you haven't read Keenan's book, Gap Selling, that Armand mentioned, we'll link to that in the show notes. Check it out. The episode I mentioned with David Primer from Cerebral Selling, that was a great episode if you're looking for more sales-related content here in the B2B growth feed because we do touch on both sales and marketing. We tried to call out the sales-related episodes with the hashtag sales headline. So look out for future episodes with that in the headline. And then also the other episode I mentioned with James that he and I did in our Behind the Curtain series, several ways, I forget, uh, I'll link to it in the show notes, but uh, multiple ways to turn prospects into friends. I, I just love what Armand is echoing here. And I've seen it play out in my own sales career and I cannot recommend those sort of strategies enough. Armand, thank you so much for being our guest on the show today. I really appreciate it, man. All right, man. Take it easy. I hate it when podcasts incessantly ask their listeners for reviews, but I get why they do it because reviews are enormously helpful when you're trying to grow a podcast audience. So here's what we decided to do. If you leave a review for B2B growth and Apple podcasts and email me a screenshot of the review to james at sweetfishmedia.com, I'll send you a signed copy of my new book, Content-Based Networking, How to Instantly Connect with Anyone You Want to Know. We get a review, you get a free book. We both win. Brain fog, insomnia, 
moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.